Tonight is going to be our monthly prayer service. We're going to pray about going deep as disciples of Jesus. Superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but deep people. So says Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline. I believe this quote gets at the heart of what Jesus wants for his people. Jesus wants us to be a deep people rather than a shallow people. Now, God's word doesn't use the, t- the phrase deep or shallow. Instead, it uses mature or immature. Now, I want us to, to kind of look at a contrast tonight. So turn to Hebrews 6, page 9.22. Hebrews 6 and 1 says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And if God permits or and if and this we will do if God permits. Now, notice the call in verse one. It is to to leave the elementary, the, the basic teachings of Christ and to move on to maturity. He wanted them to be deep people. As far as their relationship with Jesus, their spiritual lives, and what kind of disciples of Jesus they were. Now, one of the reasons he has to make this call to them is because they haven't moved on to maturity. They haven't moved on to be deep disciples of Jesus yet. Look at verse 11 of chapter 5. Concerning him, we have much to say, but it is difficult to explain it to you. Since you have become poor listeners, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the actual words of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food for everyone who partakes only of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, have, who, because of practice, have their exercises trained to distinguish between good and evil. Now, one important lesson to learn here about the idea of, of maturity, of becoming a deep disciple, is that it's not automatic. Someone doesn't surrender their lives to Christ, repent, believe, and get saved, and then automatically begin to grow mature and become deep. Right. A part of his argument in verse 12 is by this time they've been saved long enough. They they should be deep disciples of Jesus, but they aren't. They've been Christians long enough to move beyond where they are now. But for one reason or another, they have not progressed in the way that they should. Right. They are shallow Christians and not deep disciples. And in this passage, the author, he contrasts those who are deep disciples or those who are shallow Christians with those who are deep disciples. Let's just take a few minutes and and look at the contrast he paints. First, shallow Christians are poor listeners. Right in verse 11, he said concerning him, Melchizedek, which we don't have time to talk about. uh, We have much to say, and it's difficult to explain since you have become poor listeners. Now, this means they were negligent and lazy in their studying of God's word. But not only were they negligent and lazy in their studying of God's word, but they really weren't paying attention to the public reading and teaching of God's word. It wasn't that they couldn't understand 
God's word. It's they weren't even trying. Right? Now with this, I think there's two pictures this brings to mind. One is that of children. Have you ever tried telling a child something while they're daydreaming? Right? Their minds are a million miles away and they aren't even remotely paying attention to anything that you have to say. And that seems to be a part of the idea of them being poor listeners. Right? Again, they're at church. It's not that they're not coming to church. It's not that they're not having the time where maybe they're even in the Bible on their own to some extent. But they're not getting anything out of it. And it's because of their own choosing. By being poor listeners, they are probably distracted in their minds and they're not paying attention as they should. The other is complacency or apathy. Right? One of the reasons they're not paying attention, one of the reasons they're not listening well, is because they really don't care. They're comfortable with their lives the way they are, so they aren't really interested in getting deep into God's Word on their own, and they aren't really interested in paying a whole lot of attention to what's being said or taught as God's Word is read and preached when they gather with their church body. So they are poor listeners. Deep disciples, on the other hand, are eager to hear. Right, Since shallow Christians are dull of hearing or are poor listeners, then the deep disciple is eager to hear, eager to listen. They aren't lazy in their study of God's word. They, they aren't distracted as they hear it being preached and taught and, and read out loud. They are eager to learn what Jesus has for them. They are eager to hear what the word of God says because they want to be everything Jesus wants them to be. Second contrast, shallow Christians have to be taught. In verse 12, the author says that by this time they ought to be teachers, but they have need again for someone to teach them the elementary principles of the actual words of God. Right. So they should be teaching others, but they still have to be taught the very basic things again. Now, he's not saying that there comes a point in time in our life as disciples of Jesus where we get so deep we never need to be taught. It's not what he's saying. Instead, what he's saying is. They, they can't really get in and dig in the Word on their own. When it comes to even the very basic things they were taught initially when they were first saved, they need to be retaught those again and again. They, they need to be taught once again about the fact that you ought to repent of sin. And you need to believe in God. And that there is a, a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And all of those basic things that they first had, they need to be taught those things again and again. They're not retaining it. They're not keeping it. They should be able to, to explain those things to other people. They can't do it. They can't get into God's Word and, and learn for themselves. They, they can't, since they can't get in and learn for themselves, they can't share anything with others, They can't share the gospel. If someone has a question or a problem, they can't take them to the place in God's word that gives an answer that would help them in their time of need. By contrast, deep disciples are self-feeders. Right. Since shallow Christian must be taught whatever they learn, the deep disciple is able to learn on his or her own. This is what I mean by self-feeder. The author calls them infants. Now, the, the, the picture of infants is common in God's word, but it's always used when it's in a positive way of newborn disciples. Just as a newborn baby needs to be fed, so a newborn disciple needs to be fed. But a child, as he or she grows, they should learn to feed themselves. Similarly, when a disciple matures or when they deepen, 
They should be able to feed themselves by studying God's word on their own. A teenager who cannot feed themselves has some sort of developmental issue. Something is not right if a teenager has to be spoon fed by mom and dad. In the same way, when someone has been saved for many years, but is unable to dig into the word on their own, something is wrong. Their development is delayed. It's not as it should be. A deep disciple of Jesus can study the word on their own and get spiritual nourishment they need. Not only can they study on their own to feed themselves, but they have something to share with others. Right? They are able to to teach is the idea here. Now, the idea of teach here doesn't mean like sit in a classroom setting. Right? He's not talking about teaching as in you hold a court, you have a class, and you instruct. Teaching is a spiritual gift all on its own. Rather, the idea here seems to be the deep disciple of Jesus can share God's word with others. The deep disciple of Jesus has been in God's word on their own. They know what it says. They know what it means. They've studied. And when someone has a question, they can give an answer from the Bible. When someone has a concern, they can give encouragement from the Bible. When someone wants to know about life and salvation and eternal life, they can give an answer out of the Bible. Deep disciple of Jesus not only can feed themselves... But then they're able to help others along the way. The, the final contrast is shallow Christians lack discernment. Verse 13 and 14. For everyone who partakes only of milk is acquainted, is unacquainted with the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. Those who are shallow are unskilled in the word of God. Now, this is similar to what I, what I talked about before, about them not being in it, but it's still something different. But the source of the problem is essentially the same. The shallow Christian spends no time in God's Word, and when they do, they don't pay attention. When they hear it, they aren't listening. And so they have nothing to give. But in this case, what they need is discernment. Now, I would, apply, I would define discernment as the ability to, define, to apply God's Word to the problems of life God's word does address. Right? Discernment is the ability to say, here's what the Bible says. Here's what it means. Here's how it would apply to this situation. Here's what the Bible says. And here's how this applies to what's right and what's wrong. What a Christian should do and what they shouldn't do. Right? But a shallow Christian cannot give biblical answers to the problems of life. A shallow Christian cannot show from God's word why they believe what they believe. And since they lack discernment, they are they are susceptible to receiving an answer from anyone. This is along the lines of what Ephesians 4 says about people being tossed to and fro and carried about by any wind of doctrine. Shallow Christians, since they don't have discernment, Anybody that can make a solid case about anything, well, they're going to, I'm just going to go along with that. And then if somebody makes a better case, then they're going to go along with that. And so they believe this today and that tomorrow and something else over here. And they are just constantly bouncing around by whoever can make the best case at the last time that they heard it. Because they don't have the discernment to say that's not right. And here's why the Bible says it's not right. 
The shallow Christian will embrace whatever answer they find to whatever question is presented to them without knowing or even possibly caring what God's word says. The deep disciple, though, does have discernment. Those who are deep disciples have their senses exercised by reason of use, and so they can discern, they can distinguish between good and evil. The deep disciple can use God's word to answer the problems of life. The deep disciple can show you from God's word why they believe what they believe. Now, let me say this. The deep disciple doesn't mean that they have all the answers to all the questions that could potentially be put before them. No one has all of those answers. But the deep disciple, when hit with an answer, they, a question they can't answer, says, I don't know the answer, but I can find out because I know where the answer lies. And the deep disciple in that moment of not knowing will then dig into the word and begin to find the proper answer. The deep disciple can explain why they believe, what they believe, and where that's at in God's word. The deep disciples are able to discern right answers from wrong answers, and so they are not tossed about and carried to and fro by every wind of doctrine that's put before them. Deep disciples have also studied God's word enough that they're able to go beyond the, the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots of God's word. Right. In other words, they're able to study God's word for themselves and pull out principles about what's right and what's wrong without there being an explicit answer in God's word saying this is right and this is wrong. Let me give you an example of that. Is pornography wrong? Is it a sin always at all times for all people? Well, yes, we would say it is. Well, why would we say that? For there is no verse in all of God's word that says thou shalt not look at Pornography. There's no explicit teaching on that at all. Since there's not an explicit command in God's word telling us not to look at porn, how can we say with any sort of authority that looking at porn is a sin, always a sin? It's not just maybe morally wrong. It's not just maybe ethically wrong, but it is actually a sin against God. Well, the deep disciple can extrapolate based upon other teachings of Scripture. For example, Jesus says it is a sin to lust in Matthew 5 and 28. Since porn causes lust, and that's the whole purpose of porn, porn's a sin because it causes the lust. So there are other passages we could look at which we get the same idea, but that's just what we have time for tonight, but you get the idea. There are all kinds of things. As disciples of Jesus, we affirm these are wrong. These are sins against God. And they are. But they're not things where God's word explicitly says thou shalt or thou shalt not. Instead, you deep disciples can study and extrapolate and pull out the truth because they exercise themselves. They exercise their senses and they're able to discern between right and wrong, between good and evil. So that's what a, a deep disciple can do. Now, there are two final issues I, I want to point out before we before we pray. First. They should have been deep disciples, but they weren't. I mentioned this in brief. Right, Verse 11 through 14 makes it clear. The problem isn't that they are new Christians. They haven't just recently been born again. It's not that they haven't had time to learn the stuff. The problem is they have been believers long enough. They should have been deep disciples, but they weren't. So as we, tonight as we pray and as we examine our lives to see are we on the deep or the shallow end or where along that spectrum are we, 
One of the things we cannot do is say, well, I've been saved a long time. Being saved a long time, having been church a long time, is no indicator that we've moved anywhere along the, the shallow and deep spectrum. It is entirely possible for someone to get saved, stay in church, be active in church for 30 years and never move out of the shallow end of the pool and not ever become a deep disciple. The amount of time a person has been saved is no guarantee they are a deep disciple. A second truth we see in this is something that I think is very dangerous. And notice this. They had become poor listeners. They had need again for someone to teach them the elementary principles. They have come to need milk and not solid food. All of this paints a picture of a regression. Right? Not only had they not progressed as they should have, it appears there was a time where they were progressing, but now they had begun to regress. They had been good listeners, but now they had become poor listeners. At one time they knew the beginning stuff of the gospel, but now they have to have that stuff taught to them again. At one time, they had solid food, but now they need milk all over again. They may not have quite arrived to the place where they were deep disciples, but they were on the path to becoming deep disciples. But they had regressed. This, I think, is a danger for any of us. The danger of regressing. The danger of being comfortable. The danger of, well, I... I know the Bible and I'm familiar with its teachings, but I can become so familiar and so comfortable with my knowledge of God's word that I become a poor listener when I read it. Oh, I know this chapter. I've read this. I've read I've read John three a million times. I don't have to pay extra attention as I read it. What am I doing? I'm not being a good listener as I read. My mind is distracted. Oh, this sermon on how to be saved. Well, I've heard how to be saved since I was five in Sunday school. So I'm going to think I've got stuff I need to do this afternoon. And we become poor listeners. The thing is, when it comes to our spiritual life, we don't really stay. We're either moving forward or we're regressing. So when we become dull hearers, when we become poor listeners, we may stay in a spot for a little while. But if we don't change how we listen, we eventually begin to regress. We begin to become immature. We begin to go from being deep to being shallow. This, I believe, is a a danger, a great danger. Because getting to the deep end and staying in the deep end, it's not automatic. This is why the author tells them to leave the elementary principles, to move forward in deepening their relationship with Jesus. This is what we all have to do. Take care. Take heed to be sure we don't become poor listeners and thus begin to regress. So let's take a few minutes now and and pray. As we pray, ask God to search us and show us where we are on the shallow, deep scale. And ask God to help us. To be ready to move into becoming deep disciples.
Heavenly Father, we love you. You are wonderful, great, and glorious. We thank you, Father, for what you have given us in Christ. We are thankful, Lord, for your spirit who lives within us. We are thankful for your word which guides us. Father, help us to be honest in examining our lives to see where we are on this scale. Father, let your spirit reveal to us where we are and let us receive his assessment of us. And Father, no matter where we fall, Lord, there's always more. No matter how deep of a disciple we are, there's more, there's deeper to go. And so help us, Lord, not to get comfortable. Help us not to get complacent. Help us to move, move into the deeps to know more about who you are and more about what you're like. Help us to better understand your word. Help us to to push further and further and further into you, Father. We love you. Have your way in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what I want to do in the rest of the service is give us specific ways to pray so we can become deep disciples. From this, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture. So turn to Colossians 1. And and I don't know what page that's on. I forgot to mark that down. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 12. It's page 1245 in my Bible, if that helps anyone. I'll read the passage and I'll come back and and kind of look at it in depth, sort of. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard about it, have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing In the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all perseverance and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. This is one of Paul's prayers for the people. And as he tells them what he prays for, it gives us some ways we can pray for ourselves and for others so that we or others may become deep disciples of Jesus. The first way to pray is to pray to know God's word. Right? So the first thing he prays for, be filled with the knowledge of his will, knowledge of God's will. Now, the reality is we cannot know God's will without knowing God's word. This is one of the key aspects of knowing God's will. Now, I understand there are some things that are God's will that are not explicitly given in God's word. God's word isn't going to tell you who to marry, right? But if you know God's word, you might can learn who not to marry, right? There are certain character traits and certain things that God's word says that a, a disciple of Jesus, they should not marry a person like this. But I won't know that if I don't know God's word, right? So to know God's will, I must know God's word. And if we were to take time to look at Psalm 119, almost all of Psalm 119 is about the word of God in one way or another. And one of the repeated ideas in the psalm is a prayer where the psalmist prays for understanding. This is one of my favorite ones. Psalm 119, uh, 33 and 34. Teach me the way of your statutes, Lord, and I shall comply with it to the end. Give me understanding. So that I may comply with your law and keep it with all of my heart. Now notice, this is a prayer for understanding so the psalmist can apply what he understands. Right? Deep disciples aren't just people who, who know God's word, but they are people who do God's word. The reason we want to know God's will is so we can do God's will. Right? And so if we want to, to be a deep disciple, we need to pray 
for the Lord to, to teach us, to instruct us out of the word. This is something we find even in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. Right? This is a part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's called illumination to reveal to us. The truths of God's word. And so before we pray, even when we're not about to read our Bible, before we read, even if we're not about to read, but as a part of our regular time of prayer, we should pray, God, teach me, give me understanding with the idea that what I understand, what you teach me, that I'll do. Second, pray for discernment. We're going to spend more time on others than we do on others. We don't have time for all of them in depth. Uh, Pray for discernment. Then he goes, you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, the prayer for all spiritual wisdom and understanding follows being filled with the knowledge of God's will. So the idea is this. The better we know God's will, the better we'll be able to know what things please him and what things displease him. This knowledge of God and his will, it develops our discernment. Right? It's not just a matter of we know God says thou shalt and thou shalt not. But we know we read in the word and we understand when people do these sorts of things, God is pleased. When people do these sorts of things, God is not pleased. And that helps us develop discernment so that in a moment when an opportunity arises, we don't have time to go to God's word. or We don't know an explicit passage. We can just look at that and we can say, you know, from what I know in God's word, God really is not pleased when people act in this way, when people do these sorts of things. Right. So this is what the knowledge of God and his will, it develops this kind of discernment in us. And as we grow in our discernment, we're able, one, to to recognize and reject false teaching. Now, that's a big part of the reason we need discernment. Not everyone who claims the name of Jesus and claims to be a teacher is. The Bible talks about false teachers and false apostles and false gospels and false Christ and false spirits. How are we going to know the difference? If a false teacher comes to us and they use the same words we do, maybe have the same Bible we do, but they mean something vastly different than us, how are we going to know the difference? How are we going to be able to tell a false teaching from a true teaching? We're going to have to have discernment. We can say that's just not right. Second, we are less guided by the external list of do's and don'ts and more guided by an internal knowledge of how to make choices God would have us to make. We talked about that, so I won't spend much time in it, but think of it like this. When your kids are little, you tell them explicitly, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do that. As they get older, they've developed an idea of what things you want them to do and not do. And you're able to say, you don't have to say do and not do. You're able to say, you know, and give them more leeway and more freedom as they make choices based upon what they know about who you are, what you like and what you're going to what they're going to get in trouble for. That's what discernment helps us to do as we become deep disciples. Thirdly, pray to walk worthy of the Lord. Now we again see the interconnectedness of this prayer, right? We want to be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects. So being filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding wasn't for the sake of mere intellectual knowledge. It is meant to lead us to living a life worthy of the Lord. 
clearly a part of what it means to to pray to walk worthy of the Lord that it is possible for us to to live in a way that is not worthy of the Lord. So think about that for a second. Not everything we do, not every way we live or everything we say or every way we react or every value we hold or every priority we have is necessarily worthy of the Lord. It is possible for us to hold on to these things and to hold on to things that are not worthy of who God is to us. And while these things may not be worthy, we're supposed to live in a way that is worthy, that is fully pleasing to Him. Now the word worthy, the, the word translated as worthy is an interesting word and it sort of pictures scales being in balance. And what this means is the way we live should be in balance with what we say we believe. Right? What we do ought to match what we say. Our profession of faith in Jesus ought to be visible in the way we live our lives. For example, do I believe Jesus died for my sin? Then I probably shouldn't live in sin that sent Jesus to the cross. Do I believe I was chosen by God for salvation? then I shouldn't live as a spiritual orphan whom God doesn't care about. Do I believe if it were not for God's mercy and grace, I'd still be following the course of this world as a child of disobedience and wrath? Then I shouldn't look down on those who are lost or treat them as less than because I know there but by the grace of God go I. Do I believe I am God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works? Then I should do the good works. Do I believe I'm created in the image of God, that people are created in the image of God? Then I should treat other image bearers with respect due the fact that they are image bearers of God. Do I believe Jesus, through His bloody death on the cross, has made us into one body and one church? Then we shouldn't see maybe other churches as competition or the enemy. If we should recognize we are all on one team, we are all on team Jesus. We could go on and on, but you get the idea with this. If we believe God's word is real and right and true, then our attitudes and actions and reactions and values and priorities and speech should reflect this. And where they do not, we are not walking worthy of the Lord. Since we have been saved by Jesus, we should strive to walk worthy of Jesus at home, School, church, at work, on our hobbies, everywhere we go to live as his representatives so he would not be diminished in anyone's eyes by the lives we live and the things we do. And as we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, we please him in every respect. When we walk worthy of the Lord in every area of our life, we please God in every area of our life. Since this is what we want, we pray for God to help us to do this, to show us ways where we don't do this, to show us what we need to do to, to fix it so we do this. So we also pray to be fruitful, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, the idea of disciples of Jesus being fruitful is consistent in God's word. Jesus emphasized this in one of his last teachings. I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I wish we had more time to get into the idea of being fruitful, but just a few quick things about this. First, 
Our being able to bear fruit is conditioned upon our being connected to Jesus. Without Him, we can do nothing. We must remain in Him and abide in Him. And only then can we bear fruit. If we fall away from Jesus, we begin to drift away from Jesus. Our fruitfulness declines. Second, bearing fruit should be a natural part of our lives. Right? In fact, John 15 and 8 says it should be natural for us to bear much fruit. That's what he says here. I bears much fruit. As we remain in our relationship with Jesus, this union allows the Holy Spirit to flow from Jesus into us and we naturally bear fruit. Fruit should be a, a part of all of our lives. There should be something all of us look at and we say that I that is a result of his work in me and through me and for me. Now, I love the exact wording here, bearing fruit in every good work. And I like this because it shows our relationship with Jesus impacts every area of our lives. Right? So when I pray this, I've prayed this for myself for several years. I, I pray it in, in many different areas from my, my what I would call the quote unquote spiritual things like reading my Bible and praying and preaching, but also to normal things like how kind of dad I am, what kind of husband I am. Right? Why? Because I'm, if, it's a, if it is a good work, then it is a good work I can bear fruit for the Father's glory in. Right? And this is, to me, a, an important thing. It, it shows Jesus is concerned not just about our spiritual life, but about all of life. So if what we're doing in life, in, in no matter what it is, if it is a good work, then we can pray for Jesus to help us bear good fruit in our good work for the Father's glory. And it's in all things. Pray to know God better. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, as disciples of Jesus, we are meant to truly know God. In fact, Jesus says eternal life is bound up in knowing God and in knowing Jesus. Genuinely knowing God, it's not just knowing facts about God. It's genuinely knowing Him. It's not knowing there is a God out there somewhere, or even knowing certain truths about Him, but there is a, a, a very real knowing relationship we're meant to have. And the relationship is, is built upon three things. Knowing something, doing something, and experiencing something. Knowing something is based upon God's Word, and it's at the top. It's at the top because what we know informs what we do. And what we experience must be interpreted through the lens of what we know from God's Word. Doing something. What we know leads us to do something. Experiencing something. When we do the something we know, we experience something from God. It's a way of Him letting us know He's active in our lives. Now, all three of those are necessary to genuinely know God. All three of those are necessary to have the kind of relationship with God we are meant to have. One should lead to the other, which leads to another. And this makes a constant cycle in which we are always learning something. And because of what we've learned, we're always doing something. And because we've done something we've learned, we're always experiencing something. Let me give an example of this. Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything, by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, we know something. We're invited to cast our cares upon the Lord. That's the no, right? We're invited to, to go to Him in everything with prayer and pleading and thanksgiving. So that's the no. So what do we do? We go to Him with prayer and pleading and thanksgiving. We let our request be made known to Him. That's we, we know something. We do something. So what's the what happens? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, guards our hearts. We experience something. Now here's how you have to have all three. Peace. Even peace in our heart, in and of itself, cannot conclusively be said to be an experience of God. Jonah slept in the bottom of a boat while he was going in the exact opposite direction of the way God said to go. He was running from God, had perfect peace, and slept like a baby. His peace was not an experience of God. However, when I know what God has said about prayer... And I do what God has said about prayer. And I begin to experience peace. I can recognize the peace I experience as an act of God on my behalf. These three taken together enable me to know the God of peace who keeps his promise. This stirs within me a desire to learn so I can know what I should do so that I can experience more of God. But all of this is not for the sake of knowing or experiencing or doing it, so I can know God better. It's the cycle I mentioned earlier. Since all three of these are necessary for knowing God, the God who is eternal life, being out of balance causes me to miss something which should be a part of my life. If we're knowing without doing, we're not experiencing, and we're missing something. If we're doing just whatever we want to do, but we don't know what God has said, we can't be sure our experiences we have are really from God and we're missing something. And if we're just basing everything on the experiences we have without knowing and doing, we're missing something because our experiences in and of themselves are not a sign of God in our life. It takes all three. We cannot be out of balance. We shouldn't be content with just knowing something about God. We shouldn't be content with just doing something for God. We shouldn't be content with just experiencing something and say that is God. We, we should desire what it says. We should desire to know what God has said, to do what God has said, and to experience what God has said. Genuinely knowing God involves experiencing God. We are meant to know God by experience and we should not settle for anything less. And so we pray to know God better. Pray for spiritual strength. One of my favorite parts of the prayers, verse 11, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all perseverance and patience joyously. Pray to be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. To be made strong with God's power is to be given incredible strength. It is the same strength that created the universe out of nothing. It is the same strength that sent plagues 
on the Egyptians and parted the Red Sea. It is the same strength that made the sun stand still at the prayer of Joshua. It is the same strength that healed the sick, raised the dead, multiplied food, and did amazing miracles through the hands of Jesus. It is the same strength that raised Jesus from the dead. It is the same strength described as being exceedingly abundant and able to do more than we could ask or imagine. This is the strength we're to pray for, to be strengthened by His glorious might. But I love this next part. For what point and what purpose? For the attaining of perseverance and patience. For all perseverance and patience. And joyously, I know it's connected to giving thanks, at least in my Bible. But in the Greek, it's worded differently. This is the New American Standards translation. Others put it in a different place. So I think the joyously is connected to perseverance and patience. To joyously persevere. To joyously be patient. Perseverance is the ability to keep on keeping on. Regardless of obstacles and opposition. Patience is the ability to stand firm under pressure without giving up. Now, I don't know about you. But I need God's strength to keep on keeping on. Despite oppositions and pressures. I need the ability to stand despite any pressure and not to give up on those things. And I most certainly need God's strength so that I can do those things joyfully. My, my temperament does not tend to joy when I'm having to persevere. My temperament does not tend toward joy when I have patience, when I have to be patient. My temperament tends towards discouragement and disillusionment and depression. And if I am going to joyously persevere, to joyously be patient, it is going to have to be something way outside of me. And this is what we're to pray for. To pray God would strengthen us with all power according to His glorious might so we can persevere joyously. So we can joyously be patient despite Pressure and opposition without giving up to keep on. So we pray for spiritual strength. And then finally we pray to be thankful. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance and the saints of light. We know 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says it's always God's will to be thankful in every circumstance. Not for, but in. Um, and in this case he has connected it again to Give thanks to the Father because of what we have in Christ. He's not saying be thankful for whatever is making you have to persevere and be patient. But be thankful because of what you have in Christ. Now we know this is often easier said than done. And so we pray to be as thankful as we ought to be. Because again, you may be different. I'm just saying for me. When I'm in the place where I have to persevere and be patient, I don't see all the good things. All I can see is what's making me have to persevere. All I can see is what's making me have to be patient. And there's not a lot of joy in that. And there's not a lot of thanksgiving in that. And so I need God to help me to remember all I have in Christ. So that I can be thankful. To the Father because of what I have in Christ. And so we pray to be as thankful as we ought to be. When we offer up these requests to God, we don't have to worry about whether or not it's His will. 
We are praying straight out of God's word. It is his will. Without question, it is God's will for every one of us in here to know his word. To be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. To walk worthy of him. To please him in all respects. To bear fruit in every good work. To increase in our knowledge of him. To be strengthened with all power so we can joyfully persevere and be patient and to give thanks. It is absolutely God's will for all of those things. And so we can pray them confidently. So when next we go to prayer, we should ask God to begin transforming us. Maybe pray for others as well. This powerful prayer. Our walk will be strengthened. Our faith will grow. And we will move more and more into being deep disciples of Jesus. Let's take just a minute and pray and begin to pray at least one or two of these. And then we'll close. Father, we come today and we love you. You are great and awesome. You are worthy of our praise and devotion. We thank you for your word, which shows us even how to pray so we can become deep disciples of Jesus. I pray these things for all of us in here tonight. Help us, Father, to be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Make us a people who walk worthy of you and please you in in all respects and in all areas of our lives. Father, we do many good works, whether it's our service to you, our time in the word, the way we love our spouses and our children, what we do in the community or on the jobs. Those are all good works. Let us bear fruit in all of those things. Let us bear fruit for your glory in every good work in our lives. Let us increase in the knowledge of you. Show us something from your word. Let us do that something we learn and then let us experience the promise you've given associated with it, Father. Let us not. Let us not be content to know about you, but let us be a people who love you and who know you by experience. Strengthen us. With all power, according to your glorious might. Father, I I know from many in here. There are things going on that are difficult. Things that are hard. So strengthen with all might, with all power, according to your glorious might. So we can joyously persevere. We can joyously be patient. And that even in the midst of the darkest valley, we would remember who we are in Christ and what we have as your sons and your daughters. And we would give you thanks and praise. 
We ask this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.